Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, not everyone noticed it or said much about it, but I'm wearing my March Madness tie today. So if you were to see the bottom of the tie, you can see that it's clearly basketballs. And I don't know about anybody else, but whatever I am doing right now, the TV is on somewhere near me so I can keep track of these games and uh, watching March Madness. And there really has been some madness over the last couple days. I love the drama of it, right? It's a single elimination tournament, which means I don't know how many teams get in. It's like 68 with the play-ins, right? And uh, of those 68, only one team gets to end their season with a win. You ever think about it that way? Oh, only one team gets to end their season with a win. Everybody else is going to end with a loss. And uh, there is such drama and emotion if you watch the ends of these games as players who have worked all this year and really, in a sense, all their lives to get to this point, and oh my goodness, we were two points away. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a price that's been paid to play at that level of sports. And when the price just doesn't quite add up, there's all this drama, right? There's a cost. Today we're going to, to think about cost and what it, what it means to pay the price. Last week I introduced a sermon series on the meaning of the cross. And we looked, we're, we're looking through Lent at what Jesus accomplishes on the cross by looking at images or metaphors in the Bible that explain what Jesus does. And today we're looking at the images of ransom and redemption. And I'm going to be looking at a number of scriptures. Uh, so you might want to jot scriptures down as I'm going through if you want to be able to look them up later. Um, the way we use the word ransom and redemption is not the way the Bible did. When when we talk about ransom, it's typically money paid for kidnapping or a hostage situation. That's basically where we use the word uh, uh, ransom. And for redeem, well, we redeem coupons. That's really the use of redemption that we have, and we redeem coupons. Uh, and so to really understand these terms, we've we got to go back. And we got to understand what these terms meant when they weren't coupon-related. Okay? Um, so to redeem is really to pay for the release or the freedom of something. Okay, that's redeem. To pay for the release or freedom of something. So when you redeem a coupon, you're paying a coupon so that the store can release the discount. That's why we call it uh, redeeming. Uh, the, where the image, is, the image is even more lost if all you have is a little code on your phone and they scan that because you're actually not redeeming anything. They're just scanning in the code. Ransom is the payment. So with a coupon, really giving the coupon to someone, that's the ransom. That's the payment. Uh, the redeemer is the one who pays the ransom to redeem the person. And redemption is the name of the whole process. It's sort of the noun we use to describe that process. And it's talked about a lot in the Old Testament. An interesting case of this comes from Exodus 21. Rather, rather elaborate disc, uh, discussion about what happens if an ox kills a neighbor to the owner of the ox. No, you've probably never read that, but that's fine. Okay, but the way this works is if, if your animal kills somebody else, you're responsible for that. 
And typically, if it's the second offense, you're supposed to be stoned because you're actually responsible. You know you have an animal that's already harmed someone and now it harms someone again. Unless you or your family pays a ransom. You can pay a ransom and then not be stoned. And the Old Testament sets up ransom most often for slaves. Now, when we hear slaves, we think antebellum, southern, race-oriented slavery. That's really not, it is in some cases, but for the most part in the Bible, slavery is a little different. Okay, slavery was when you got into serious debt or harmed another person, you may have to make yourself a servant to that person until you could pay off your debt. If your financial situation changed, you could later free yourself. Or a member of your family could step in and ransom you from slavery. This was also true of your land. In Israel, your land was part of your family. Okay? And we, we have moved away from our families so much that we don't have this same sense of it. But, but do you, does anybody remember the family farm? Right? You had a family farm, and then what you would do is when your kids got older, you'd build a house somewhere else on the family farm. Right? And uh, you would all stay on the family farm. In Israel, this was like this because... That was, you were the chosen people, and this was the promised land. So you stayed with your property, with your family. But if you were ever in debt, and uh, you had to sell off your land, you, you were actually responsible, if you bought somebody else's land, to let them buy it back, or let their family buy it back at a later date, if they ever could. They could redeem their land. They could ransom it. They could buy it back. The main image in the Old Testament is that of what's called the kinsman redeemer. Kinsman. So to be kin, the family redeemer. When the head of a household would die and leave his wife without a son or with a number of daughters or a small son, the family would be in serious danger because no one would would, uh, work a farm, nobody would work a vineyard for a woman in those days. You wanted to work for a man. And so... Uh, This put families that lost their husbands and their fathers in in very dire circumstances. So what was expected is someone in the family, some kinsman, and it would normally work its way uh, down the line of brothers, would be responsible to marry that woman and help her to have a son and to take over the property. But to do that, they would have to buy the land. They, They would have to redeem it. They'd have to pay for it. This was a great cost to the Redeemer because they might have to pay off the debts of the lost family member. They'd have to take on the property and the responsibility. They'd have to take on another wife and maybe some other children. This could cause jealousy um, and conflicts. And so the kinsman Redeemer was very, very costly. And we're, we're familiar with it because of the story of, in the book of Ruth. Ruth's father-in-law and husband and brother-in-law are all lost, leaving her and her mother Naomi, her mother-in-law Naomi, of the difficult and nearly impossible situation of caring for themselves. They go back to Israel where Ruth meets a man named Boaz. They like each other, and actually he is a kinsman redeemer, but he's not the first in line. So in the book, he has to let somebody else potentially do that. When that person doesn't want to do it, Boaz agrees to uh, take on Ruth and to care for their family. In fact, the metaphor is that you cover someone when you redeem someone. Okay, So in the story of Boaz, as a symbol, Boaz puts his cloak over her. Okay, Because you, you, I will cover you. Kind of like a cover charge, I'm covering for somebody else. That image still sticks around to this day. 
because of redemption imagery. So redeeming imagery had three parts. Some kind of bondage, some kind of payment to get out of that bondage. We would call that payment a ransom. And normally somebody who was making the payment called a redeemer. And even if you were redeeming yourself, even if you were buying your own way out of slavery, you'd often have another family member that would help represent you, that would come in and be a voice for you. So we have a bondage, we have ransom, and we have a mediator or a redeemer. This becomes a major theme in the Old Testament because God is seen as the redeemer of Israel. God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 2, Say therefore to the people in Israel, I am the Lord your God. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So God says to Moses, all right, tell the people I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to ransom them. I'm going to pay for their way out of slavery with my own arm, with my own might, with my own power. I'm going to do this. The Psalms echo this idea. Psalm 77, 14 and 15 You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So God sends plagues, he parts the sea, and he pays the price that Israel can't pay for themselves to get out of slavery. And by doing so, you understand the imagery. God is acting as a kinsman. He's acting as a family member. He's covering them. He's saying, you're going to be a part of my family now. The imagery of ransom and redemption are then carried in the New Testament related to Jesus. We have already heard from Mark that Jesus came in order to give himself as a ransom for many. The Gospels are more interested in how this story works than what is going on. But lucky for us, it's a major theme in Paul and particularly in the book of Romans. He states that redemption comes through Christ in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a payment by his blood, to be received by faith. Redemption, then, is something that Jesus does for us. He pays for us. Let's think through that in terms of these three elements of bondage, ransom, and redemption. Why do we need to be ransomed and redeemed? Well, because we're in bondage. According to Romans 6, starting in verse 17, we're slaves to sin. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. So for Paul, we were a slave to sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. Now we belong, we are owned by Christ. A couple verses later, he says this familiar passage, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Okay? That means because we all sin, because we miss the mark of what God has for us, because we don't do things we're supposed to do, and because we do things we're not supposed to do, we fall short of God's glory and stand in need of someone to save us. Notice that we don't owe Satan anything. 
Okay, uh, that's a common misconception sort of comes out of the Middle Ages that we owe Satan. We don't owe Satan anything. Okay, Satan does not have a lot of power here. We owe sin and ultimately we owe an apology to God. We need to make amends. We need to make atonement to God for our uh, sin and our missing the mark. We are in bondage to sin and therefore separated from God. That wage, those wages is death. Which means that somebody's got to pay those wages. Somebody's got to pay that death. So the ransom, the price paid. Paul says twice in 1 Corinthians that you and I are bought with a price. That price is Jesus dying on the cross. This is the amazing part. Not only is Jesus the redeemer, he's also the ransom. Okay? Not only is he the one who wants to free us from sin, he is also himself the payment for that sin. Now, it's important to understand, because people don't always like this language. Why can't Jesus just, why can't God just forgive without a sacrifice? Why does God need Jesus to die? But there are two things we've got to really keep in mind here that people tend to lose sight of. First of all, we've got to keep the Trinity together. So we have this tendency to think God is angry and needs to punish somebody so Jesus comes and, and uh, takes on that punishment. The problem is that separates God the Father and God the Son too much. Okay? We believe that they're one and the same. And so it is God not only being righteous and needing to do something about the sin problem, but it's also God extending himself, extending his Son to be the payment, redeemer and the ransom. Once we keep the Trinity together, we start to see God's true character. Yes, God is so holy that he can't just let sin go. Okay, We don't want a God. Nobody here wants a God that just lets sin go. We want a God that's righteous and holy and has to do something about sin. That wants to do something about the sin. But at the same time, it is the character of God not to punish us for our sin. After all, we punish ourselves plenty because of our sin. Okay, We punish ourselves plenty. It was God's nature to become flesh and pay that ransom for us. Paul connects this idea with the idea of adoption, that we are now redeemed and are sons and daughters of God. But that's quite in line with the Old Testament imagery, right? Because the kinsman redeemer, when they paid for someone out of slavery, when they paid for, uh, when Boaz pays the debts that he needed to take care of Ruth, He's covering her. He's bringing her into his home. And so part of Paul's image is, listen, you and I have sinned. We have made mistakes we could never pay for on our own. But here's the good news. Jesus does that for us. And when he does that, he puts a cover over us and he brings us into his household, into his family. Uh, this is why I, I, at funerals I like to I like to use the, uh, the verse in John that says, in my father's house are many rooms. See, we, we have an old translation that said mansions. And we have this idea of mansions. So I live in God's neighborhood when I uh, get to heaven. And it's, it's got all these gates, right? I don't know why heaven's such a gated community. Where is heaven? Okay? But, but the imagery isn't that you're in God's neighborhood. It's that you're in God's house. That you are a son or a daughter, and you do not deserve that, and I do not deserve that. But that is the imagery of the kinsman redeemer bringing us in, and not just us. 
For God so loved me that he gave his only son. No, for God so loved the world. This redemption is so much bigger than you and I, although isn't it amazing that it is for you and I? God is redeeming the world. Romans 8.23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So part of what Paul really tries to argue is that, that Jesus redeems the world. He redeems our bodies. He redeems our lives. He redeems our neighborhoods. He redeems not just our souls and we get out of here, but he redeems the world. Now, really, this is a pretty simple image, and I could have told it to the kids, right? We owe a debt, and Jesus pays that debt. But I think it's important for us, as we think about this, to really understand the price that was paid on our behalf. Because when you don't appreciate what it costs to get something, it doesn't have a lot of value to you. Have you ever known people like this? Somebody gives them something and they don't treat it with a lot of respect because they didn't pay for it. Okay, or do you ever know someone who had something that was really nice and you wish you had and they don't value it so they trash it? And you think, no, right? You have to appreciate the value of something. And I think we as Christians need to appreciate the value of what Christ has done for us, the price that was paid I wonder if sometimes we ultimately are trying to redeem ourselves. If we have not fully appreciated the great, cross, the great cost that Christ paid on our behalf. I wonder if we don't like this imagery of slavery and sin and bondage. Right? I don't want to be that bad. I don't want to be that needy. Author Fleming Rutledge in her book, The Crucifixion, which is really the insp inspiration for this sermon series, points out that we like redemption stories, but we don't really like ransom. Okay? I love redemption stories. I love those stories where people kind of pull themselves together and they go through bad stuff, but it all turns around in the end. I love those kind of stories. What I don't like is the cost that it often takes to get there, particularly in my life. I would love to redeem myself. I, I don't always want to pay the price for that. I like Jesus to be Savior. I just i am not sure I want to need him that much. And the problem is that if that's true, then I miss out on something important. Or to say it another way, if this redemption story is true and you were bought with a price of Christ's own life, then this has huge implications for how you live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. Okay? If Christ gave his life for you, do you understand how valuable you are? Do you understand how special you are? There's no room for guilt in this redemption story. No room for you to say, oh, I feel so guilty about what No, there's no space for that because Christ already paid for that. There's no room for shame. No room for proving yourself. No room for caring what anybody else thinks. No room for finding your identity in any other part of your life. Work, family, whatever you want to insert there. Your identity is found in Christ because that is the one. He is the one who paid for you. He bought you. And man, does that change how I view other people, or at least it should, right? My neighbor that I may not like, Christ died for that person. And uh, the, this person that's annoying me in a store, this person that has it out for me in this situation at work, guess what? Christ died for that person. 
should have this huge implication for how I view other people. Because I like to value people way down here, right? I like to value myself a little bit too high sometimes, and I like to value other people a little too low sometimes. But looking through the lens of Christ, everyone has this amazing value because they were paid for. Do you have any idea how much God loves you? The price he paid for you, for the world around you. You are precious to him. The world is precious to him. The people around you are precious to him. So be careful how you view yourself. And be careful how you view others. Because you were bought with a price. Let's pray. Lord, help us to find our value in the price that you paid for us. Not in how much we make, not in how much we're valued, not in how much we're loved, but how much you loved us. Help us to treat others with that same kind of value. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.